we started on May 1st, if you uh, remember, on May 1st we started um, almost a series of series called Wholehearted. And we basically explored this question, what would it look like if we sort of systematically looked through the areas of our heart? Because Jesus said, and he was quoting Moses, um, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And so we've almost systematically been looking at the areas of our heart. We started with family um, and saying, okay, if we're going to do this, we want to do it together. How do we form good friendships? That was all throughout the month of May. Then we talked about our practices uh, as a church, our health, our professional, our physical health. Then we talked about our worldview, so potentially like my favorite part of this whole series was uh, what would it mean not just to submit my practices to Jesus, my time to Jesus, but the way I see the world. We talked about that in August, and then we talked about Jesus and some of the things that he did and what he calls us to. Talked about the church and how engaging with the church means that we're gathering uh, in a large group, we're gathering in a house group, we're giving and we're serving, and it's all sort of been leading to this series right here. Uh, And not that it's the most important one, but um, this one is uh, intentionally at the very end. And it's called Multiply, because the call on our lives is to multiply our faith in the people around us, our our city, and all over the world. And so we want to multiply health. We want to multiply being wholehearted. We don't want to multiply um, any kind of lukewarm. And so not to say that if you're not perfectly following Jesus, you can't disciple, share your faith, pray for other people. But we want to really replicate what it means to be wholehearted for Jesus. And so that's where we are right now. And this morning, um, we are talking about, and brace yourself for this word because it's got a lot of connotation. It's got a lot of maybe um, mixed emotions around it. But this morning, we're talking about evangelism. Uh, and if you need to uh, replace that word with something else, you can replace it with share your faith, share the story of God, invite other people into um, the kingdom that Jesus introduced. All of it really is the same thing. It's inviting people into a relationship with Jesus and doing it uh, intentionally and, um, and really clearly. And I know that um, a lot of people have been hurt by maybe this word, or, or maybe it's, uh, this is probably more common, it's just really scary. It is really scary to share your faith with someone else. It's a vulnerable experience to say, actually, here's what I believe. And what would be really great if we could just say, like, I don't like to do uncomfortable things. But it was a command of Jesus for us to actually share our faith. And so that's why we're talking about this, uh, the discipleship and prayer. But right in the middle, we're talking about what does it actually look like to share our faith. And Jesus, um, I think, framed evangelism around two key phrases. And so we're going to unpack both of them. Number one is come and see. Number two is go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. And Jesus said both of these. We see his followers saying both of these. And so we want to unpack those two things. But the most important part of everything, the most important thing I'll say this morning, so if you're a note taker, write this down. This is the key to evangelism for the millions of you streaming online. Make sure you write this down also. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Um, It's this. Uh, Evangelism starts with intimacy. And if, if sharing your faith feels weighty, um, heavy, uh, burdensome, it could be uh, simply like, a, I don't know how to do it, and that, we'll talk about that in a second. It also could just be, man, it's easier when it comes from a place of being with Jesus. And so the key to evangelism isn't some like crazy anointing, although we believe in that kind of thing. It's not some crazy giftedness with words, although I'm sure that that helps. But the key to evangelism is actually being with Jesus. Because you know when you're passionate about something, it just bubbles up out of you. And so the key to sharing your faith effectively is just knowing and being with Jesus. So the key to doing this out there is actually 
in the secret place or your quiet time or whatever you want to call it in there. So the key to evangelism, and we're going to say this a few times, is intimacy with Jesus. And that's the place that it comes from. So John 1, 35 to 39, uh, this is Jesus kind of at the beginning of his ministry. It says, the following day, John, John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. Come and see. And the heart of what Jesus is saying is, um, basically, I, I could tell you, but I'd rather show you. One of the key phrases that Jesus uses in evangelism is come and see. Because sometimes it's better to experience the thing rather than have it explained to you. And, and the key around come and see or a culture of come and see is really this, and we've talked about this before. It's having a culture of invitation. A culture of invitation that says, like, I'm going here, come with me. I'm going to church, come with me. I'm going to Finley Market for lunch after church. And I believe, I mean, from what I've heard, we really have a, a pretty sweet, unique um, culture of invitation here. A really authentic community. And so as we get older, which is naturally the progress of a church, you get a little bit more insular. And even as we get bigger, um, it's a natural byproduct to just find your people and huddle down. But we always want to continue having a culture invitation, this idea of come and see. I could tell you, but I'd rather show you. Because what the, these guys were asking Jesus wasn't literally like, where are you staying? It's, okay, my boss, John the Baptist, just said that's the Lamb of God. That naturally is going to um, pop up some things. I'm intrigued by who you are. I'm intrigued by what you're doing. And I think the first question they could ask is, where are you staying? But what they're asking is something a lot deeper than that. Like, what, what are you about? And, and Jesus could have answered the question, you know, just go to the cobbler's house, turn left, west on um, the street a couple blocks, north of Jerusalem, and then that's where I'm staying. But he knew that there was something deeper to that. And he said, look, I could tell you, but I'd, I'd rather just show you because his presence is everything. And being with him, like, it changes who we are. And we want to, more than a good sermon, more than a good band, good announcements, anything, we want the presence of God in this place because that will be the thing that changes people and takes us deeper into who he is. So it goes on. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there, Nathaniel asked? Come and see, said Philip. And, uh, and I imagine, because Philip's only been, if you caught that, he's only been following Jesus for about a day. And, uh, and so Philip probably doesn't have a whole lot of answers to questions, especially tough questions like, are we sure, the whole Nazareth thing, and really Moses, like y'all have to prove that to me. I imagine actually Philip probably didn't have a real answer. And maybe he could have said something like, I don't know, I know nothing's come from Nazareth yet, but maybe this is the year, maybe this is the time. I imagine what's loaded in that phrase, come and see, is here's what I know. I've been with this guy for one day, and my heart like burned inside of me. I've been with him for one day, and I already feel things about me starting to shift. Look, Nathaniel, I'm sure you have questions. I have questions. I don't know a whole lot of answers. But, like, I know that, like, this guy seems to be something different. You just have to come and see. And Philip mimics the exact phrase that Jesus said a few verses earlier. 
knowing that his presence could be the thing that changes people's mind. Again, a few things about this that I think are important for us to know. Um, Philip had been following Jesus for one day. So that means that if you've been following Jesus for one day, then you are qualified to invite other people to follow him too. And a lot of times we think, no, 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 I've got to have a degree, or at least I should probably be five, ten years deep into this before I would have any kind of answers. And having all of the answers isn't really the answer. It is actually just a culture of invitation around you. And Philip, following Jesus for one day, said, look, you should just come and see. And what changes Nathaniel's life, I mean, follow him throughout scriptures, even read about some of the stories the early church has about him or some of the um, things extra outside of the Bible of how Nathaniel died and where he went. Something changed his life, and it wasn't Philip's answers. It was simply being with Jesus. Philip knew, if I could just get you around this guy, it's going to change things. If I could just get you into his presence, that's going to be the thing that changes your mind. And this should, um, I think a come and see phrase, should really alleviate some of the pressure or the, the shame or the, any of those things around um, feelings we have towards evangelism. Because sometimes it's just as simple as inviting people into the place that God already is. So three places, um, because again, there is no exact answer of where we invite people to go. There's no equation to following Jesus. You guys know this. I would have found it by now, I promise. The really tough thing I think about following Jesus is we have to constantly be listening to his voice. It's one of the sweet things, but it's the tough thing. And so where do we invite people to come and see him? There's more answers than this. I have three for you just really quickly. Uh, To church, or what I'm going to say Sunday service, because church is more than just here to our house group or into a smaller community, or into your life. You can invite people to come and see to a Sunday, to your house group, or into your life. Starting with a Sunday, while this, especially in this country, this part of the country, this thing we're doing is still somewhat culturally relevant. Decreasingly so, uh, and when it becomes totally irrelevant, we'll stop inviting. But right now, people still understand or have a grid for what happens on a Sunday morning. And I think what happens here is really sweet. And so it's really sweet when we get to invite people into this place. And when you invite people into what they will call church, we call one front door. When you invite people in, they are asking, especially if they're millennials or if they're Gen Z, they're asking two primary questions of the church. They're different questions than what um, Gen X was asking, than what boomers were asking. Uh, Millennials specifically, but I think even, I believe Gen Z, the stats are coming out. They're asking two things about the church. If you're going to invite me to church, this is the house of God. Number one, is he home? Is he actually there? And number two, are his people for real? And so being aware, when we invite people into this place, they're probably not looking for a polished sermon. They're maybe not looking for like the best music ever. They're looking for two primary things. If you're going to invite me here, I don't need the lights or the fog. Maybe that would be cool someday. But um, what I really need to know is like, is he there? Like if, I'm, if this is... God's house? Like, is God actually there? And are his people for real? And so that means, and this is important, that means that being here on a Sunday, even if you don't invite someone, you take part in doing some work of evangelism. When you come here, even, and this is why I think, man, this thing's not outdated. We're not getting away from a large gathering because there's something special that happens in this room. When you come here hungry, God responds to your hunger. If we start to show up here over time, and it just becomes the thing we've got to do. We're just getting through Sunday to get to brunch. I, I'll mimic, I'll maybe fray, like word out some worship songs, or maybe I'll act like I'm praying. I just need to get 
through this so I can check this off of um, my box. I promise you, I, I just believe God would stop coming because God doesn't actually live here. It says that he's enthroned on the praises of his people. So as long as we keep praising, he'll keep meeting us here. So when you come, and when you come hungry, you're actually doing the work of evangelism for someone across the room that invited their friend that finally came for the first time because the presence of God fills this place. Did you know that? That's kind of cool. Like, you get to do the work of evangelism even if you're not someone that's bringing someone every week to church. The second thing, and this one's even a little more obvious, is he there? You have a hand in that because we get to help usher in the presence of God, but also are his people for real. So show up hungry and show up and like have and bring your authentic self. Because people are wondering, um, I mean, they're maybe wondering in part, like, am I for real? Is the pastor for real? We've got a lot of pastoral failures. Like, they're probably wondering that, but I promise you, they're not just wondering about me. They're wondering about y'all. They're wondering, like, are these people, like, can they actually talk to me about sports or home decor? Or can they talk to me about what is going on in their kids? Like, are they real people, these Jesus followers? Or are they just, is it like a cult? Which, if you're new, it's not, I promise. Got a woo for not a cult. <laughs> on fire today. So this is, this is the work that we all get to do simply by being here is find a new person. Find someone that doesn't look familiar. Invite them. Come and see because they're looking for two things, the presence of God and if his people are for real. Second place you can invite people to, sometimes it's better than in, into this room. You have to ask the Lord is into your house group. Some people will never come, not even come sit in the back pew for six or seven weeks and not talk to anybody, but they might come over for dinner. Or they might go to your friend's house for dinner because you, um, they trust you. The third thing is inviting them into your life, which sounds like a cop-out. Maybe it sounds like the easiest one, but I would say it's the heaviest lift. You can't invite a ton of people into your life if it's going to be real, authentic. And so inviting them, maybe it's not to church, maybe it's not to house group, but hey, do you want to get dinner do you want to do life together? Do you want to come run this errand with me? Because people are, again, wondering, is God for real and are his people for real? Is God there and are his people for real? This is the culture of come and see. It's the first thing Jesus said in John 1, come and see. And what people are asking is, okay, are these people here? And so a culture of invitation is very much the culture of Jesus. Second thing is go and tell. We can't sit on come and see. I think that's a big part of it, but Jesus also said, go and tell. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the good news of the whole creation. So Jesus also told us to go and tell. Such a big part of Jesus's ministry was announcing that the kingdom of God had come near. Read through the book of Mark. It's all about proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near. It's a huge part of what Jesus did, which means we can also assume it's a big part of what we do too. We should be announcing that the kingdom of God has come near. This is great news. The kingdom of Cincinnati isn't the only thing that we can live into. The kingdom of God has come near into this place. And so Jesus didn't just say, come and see. He said, go and tell. And proclaiming um, that the kingdom has come near is a big deal. Going and telling the gospel, again, might feel even more heavy than the first thing. Um, a big question around that is, how do you share the gospel? There's all kinds of resources. Um, and if you want to know more. I feel like I've been trained in a couple different ways. Uh, Crew, Campus Crusade, had the four spiritual laws. I love talking about like God's holiness, his justice, and his love, and the way those interact in bringing the gospel. The most clear thing I've seen, is, it's called the three circles, and we're going to watch a video in a second. Um, it's not the most flashy video. It's the most succinct. It is the clearest. It's short. 
And, uh, and what we want to do is we want to internalize this. Maybe you're not someone that's actually going to like pull out a napkin every time and write this down. But a lot of people, I mean, are like, I can't share the gospel because I don't know how. Start to internalize some of the language that, um, that this video shows, but also that actually happens with Jesus and what he says. So we'll watch this and we'll debrief it a little bit. So we live in this world and it's characterized by brokenness. We don't have to look very hard to see there are things like disease, disasters, wars. There's a lot of pain in this world, but this is not God's original design. God has a perfect design. And the way that we have gotten ourselves into brokenness is through something that the Bible calls sin. Sin is turning away from God's design and pursuing our own way. And that leads us to brokenness. Brokenness eventually leads us to death. And this death will separate us from God forever. But God doesn't want us to stay in brokenness. So he's made a way out. And that way is Jesus. Jesus comes and he enters into our brokenness. And the death that we deserve for pursuing brokenness, Jesus takes our place and dies on a cross. And his body is broken for us. And three days after he dies, he rose from the dead and he made a way out of brokenness. And people try many things to get out of brokenness. Things like religion, things like success or relationships, education or drugs and alcohol. But none of these things can get us out of brokenness. The only way out is Jesus. And if we turn from our sin and believe that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, we can leave brokenness and grow in a relationship with God and pursue his design. And more than that, we can go. We can be sent just like Jesus back into brokenness to help others come through him to pursue God's design. Now, there's two types of people in the world. There are people that are pursuing God's design, and there's people that are still in brokenness. We have to ask ourselves, where are we? So, where do you think you are? Go ahead and answer that. I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm going to address what likely is going through some people's minds. That was a little cheesy, or there's no way like I could draw that out to someone. And I get it. Um, honestly, I'm not a whole, like, I've never been a, a track person. I've never been, I, I, I love this, but I don't usually draw it out for people when I'm sharing. Internalize it and make it your own. If you memorize the video, you will sound robotic and weird. But if you internalize the actual components of what he was saying, that is the gospel. That we have two options. Jesus came to deliver us from one of them, and we get to now choose. And then we're sent back into the world to bring him into a broken place. And, and if you can start to make it your own language, which means maybe you need to Google this, listen to it a few times, but if you don't feel equipped to share the gospel, one, I'd love to talk because I know this is the job of the church, is that we should feel equipped. But two, internalize it into your own language because repeating that guy or repeating me isn't going to sound authentic, um, but really internalizing, oh, this is how I share it with other people. Um, in Acts 8, um, Philip does this, and it would be so cool it's, uh, if it was the same Philip. It would be such a great sermon, but it's actually not. Most scholars believe this is a different Philip. There was Philip the disciple, which we read in John 1. Then there's Philip the evangelist in Acts 8. And this is a pretty famous story. He's uh, uh, interacting with an Ethiopian eunuch or a high official from Ethiopia. And it's said that this man, the, the official, had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. 
Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And we'll stop right there. And I want you to imagine if Philip only had a grid for inviting, other, inviting people, come and see, and have somebody else explain it to me. I want you to imagine if Philip wasn't actually equipped to share the news himself. What Philip would have likely done is he would have said, you know, the, the official says, look, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? Yeah, that's tough. Isaiah, he was, he was out there. Um, look, I know you're like six or seven hours out of Jerusalem. Let's turn around. Let's go back. I, I got a guy. I want you to come and see Peter. Peter's got all the answers. Peter's so smart. Um, if we can just turn around, Peter, he walked with Jesus. I know you don't know him. You don't trust him. But like, I think Peter would really have a lot to say to you. How do you think this story ends if, if Philip is only a come and see evangelist? If he's like, look, you got to come and see the guy. I'm going to guess, and I, we don't know, but I'm going to guess it wouldn't have gone super well. Because what's true is Peter likely did no more than Philip. I mean, he'd walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He sat with him. Peter probably had more answers than Philip, but Philip was better positioned than Peter. And that's important. Because it's not all about who has the most answers, but sometimes it's about who's better positioned. And what that means is a, a pastor, your house group leader, a friend, um, maybe someone that has a degree in theology, they might have more answers than you. But you might be better positioned than them. And this story, it ends with the official being baptized because Philip shared the gospel with him. And sometimes we think, like, I've got to have all of the stuff together. Or maybe if I can just get them to the guy or get them to hear the sermon. And sometimes that is right. Again, come and see is not outdated. But every now and then, it's also go and tell. And we believe in living on mission here. It's one of our four values that Megan shared earlier. And what mission means to us isn't like, hey, let's get everyone in this room. But it's also that we want to be equipped to go to the places that only we can reach. Because what is... Um, and, and I've settled with this. I don't feel bad, but what's true is that your coworker doesn't trust me. And that mom that you're befriending doesn't know me. And the, the kid that you're in class with across the, across the aisle doesn't care what I have to say. But um, your coworker does trust you. And the mom that you're becoming friends with does know you. And the, the kid across the class does actually care what you have to say. And so it's not about who has the most answers, but it's about who is positioned in a place of trust. And we will, we will not just be a come and see church. It is not about coming to hear the guy. It's not about coming to hear the band. It is about how can we take what we know, the story of God in our life or the story of God in the world, and how can we take that into the places that honestly, guys, I can't speak into. The other people that preach can't speak into. The band can't speak into. And, and so we don't want to be centered around just the guy. Although come and see is valuable. It's a part of Jesus' ministry. But it's also go and tell. Um, crazy story. I heard a story a while ago of a group of missionaries. This is such a go and tell um, story. I love this. A group of missionaries go to another country. And, uh, and they're doing ministry in different places. But they walk into a home. And, um, and they heard a story about this woman that was, like, demon-possessed. And, uh, and they go in there, and they decide that they're going to share the gospel with her. And they walk in, and this woman is, like, writhing, literally writhing um, with a demon. 
and, uh, and they'd seen videos of her, and um, it had caused her to have amnesia. Somehow a witch had, like, cast um, some kind of spell over her, and they prayed, these group of missionaries, they prayed over her, and, um, and the demon came out in Jesus' name. Crazy. And they started to tell the woman why or how um, that had power over the, the spirit that had resided in her for so long, and, and she received Jesus as her Savior. And it's, it's, in the, it's in a room with a bunch of other people. And, and the missionaries said that they literally started having people come up to them saying, I want this too. And so they started praying for each person to receive Jesus. Crazy, because each person that had witnessed what had happened, the power of God move, they started sharing the gospel just like this. They started sharing the gospel with them. And each person said, I want that. I have to have that. And there were people, actually at one point, they were prophesying over the woman. They were just praying over her. Um, and it was in a different country, and she was hearing it in her own language. Yes, she's praying, he, he's prophesying, he's praying, she's hearing it in her own language, and all of a sudden, everybody starts to come to know Jesus, and then they start to pray for healing, and everybody starts to, everybody in the room starts to get healed. Uh, one person had, um, had tried to commit suicide a few uh, a little bit before that, another person had hearing problems that were totally restored. The craziness of what happens when we go until actually the husband of the woman um, said that uh, he was literally begging as if like there maybe wasn't enough salvation to go around. But he was begging before you leave, like, make sure I know Jesus too. Isn't that crazy? Guys, I heard that story like two days ago from our team in Mexico. That's, that's the woman. That's not some crazy, big missions agency. That's City Church, baby. That's City Church. That story was a true story of what a, mostly, a group of mostly 20-somethings and teenagers saw in Mexico. Aren't you glad you live in a missional church and a missional community of people that go? Ah, man, a whole family got delivered and saved. That's not good enough. Aren't you glad? Thank you. Thank you. Guys, that's incredible. And it's, it's, it's not a story that happened way out there from some other community or some other church or some other missions agency. That's us. That's what happens when we live in this go-and-tell way. And the primary way we do it, the way we feel called, is primarily to the city of Cincinnati. But it's also to the world. And it's crazy what we get to be a part of across the world and in our own backyard. Go and tell was part of Jesus' plan for the church. John 20, 21, Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus, is to take um, the news that he is renewing the earth into the places that it is not yet. And so we should be living a life that is multiplied in others. It's the whole point of this series, Multiply, is we want to replicate our faith. We want to see faith grow, not just in us, but we want to see it extend to the places that we have influence. And being obedient to Jesus means that we're obedient in even sharing the news of what he's done and who he is. And we want to be obedient, completely obedient, to who Jesus is. D.A. Carson said this. He's a New Testament scholar. He said the gospel, because the gospel is news, good news, it is to be announced. That's what one does with news. It often takes words to describe the gospel. As much as we want people to look at our lives and say, man, I bet that there was a rabbi 2,000 years ago that lived, died, was resurrected. He's probably the son of God, and I want to give my life to him because he came and he wants relationship with me. We want that to be true, and I think it's our lives that start to ask the question, but sharing the gospel, sharing the news of Jesus does take words because that's what one does with news. We have to not just come and see, 
but we also are called to go and tell. Um, today um, is one of the hardest moments, at least in recent history, in this country, I think, to share the news of Jesus. Um, I don't, we're not persecuted. We don't use that language. We are not persecuted. That is not what's happening. But there is a culture that's becoming a little bit uh, increasingly skeptical of the church or of Jesus, and in some ways for right reasons. Um, it is very difficult. It's becoming more difficult to share our faith. But there is one beautiful part of what's happening in culture right now that gives us an opportunity. And we want to move, not the news, but we want to move the strategy with the times. And so it doesn't have to be the same way as it's always been. And one of the beautiful ways about getting to share that story of God right now is um, sharing your story. Because everybody's story is true. Everybody's story has truth. It's one of the tough but also really cool things about today is your truth is true. And so when we share our story... It can't be refuted. It's actually like not part of today's culture to refute one's story. And so on one hand, a tool in the toolbox should be like, how do you share the gospel? On the other hand, how do you succinctly, and I want to challenge you to this today, do you know how to succinctly tell your story? Because people will listen to your story. Do you know how to share your story in such a way that um, it's not 20 or 30 minutes, like leave people wanting more, but do you know how to share your story in two or three minutes? I'm going to share mine. Um, and in the video, it said that there was often turning and believing. And, uh, and I grew up in the church. And so um, at an early age, like probably six years old, I decided to believe. And then I decided to believe also when I was seven and nine and 13. I just really didn't want to go to hell. That was, that was most of what I was doing every kid's summer camp, was accepting Christ again because I had sinned in that previous year. I believed hard. And um, at 17, still believed, believed really deeply but um, there was something in me that didn't quite let me go the direction fully of Jesus. And it was that um, I knew I wanted to believe in Jesus, but I didn't really want to follow him because that wasn't fun. And there was this sense of adventure in me of like, I need to know new people and do new things. I want to have the most fun I can have right now. And that didn't seem to be Jesus. So from the ages of 17 to 20, I believed in Jesus, but also I went a different direction than him. And I tried to seek whatever was most fun. And I remember specifically one time uh, on spring break, I was 20 years old, and we were doing the spring break thing, drinking underage, which I knew was wrong, and I had a conviction about it, and, um, and I woke up early one morning before anybody else um, on spring break one morning, and I read the book of Romans, because I like needed to get a little clean. The problem was I knew that that's not how that worked, and I sat there, and I remember reading the book of Romans, hoping that it kind of balanced out what happened last night, and I just decided this can't go on. And, um, and I tried my best, and basically what I decided for the next few months is I'm just going to be a bored believer. Jesus calls me to follow him, and I'm going to try to follow him, and I'm just going to be bored doing it because Jesus isn't a whole lot of fun. And you've probably heard this part of the story if you've been around for a while, but um, a few months later, um, my roommate's girlfriend, she'd been acting really weird lately, and she came to all of the roommates, and she said, Hey, guys, um, I know I've been weird. She took off her wig. We didn't know she had a wig on. We thought it was her hair. And she said, I'm seven out of eight rounds of chemo in, and they've given me two more months to live, and um, I just thought you guys should know. And this was me believing but not following, and I believed that Jesus, at least at some point in the Gospels, had healed people, and so gathered some people together to pray over my friend, um, and we prayed over her. Her name's Alexa, and we prayed over her, and I remember leaving that night and thinking, like, 
I don't know what healing looks like. I don't know how you know if leukemia goes away. But, like, I feel like she's ready for death. Like, she, she got rid of some bitterness towards God, and it was really sweet. And uh, three days later, she called me. It was winter break at this point. So I was at my parents' house. I was in my old bedroom, and she called me. And um, she said, look, I've been arguing with the doctors, and he keeps showing me the slides. And she said, Chris, like, my leukemia is gone. And, uh, and it was really gone. It never came back. And I remember getting the phone call, and this is life-changing for me. She called me, and I remember standing in my old bedroom on the phone with her thinking this. This is the most fun I've ever had. And I started cycling through all the other experiences that I'd had. This was more fun than any party, any drink, any relationship. This is literally right here. This is the most fun I've ever had. And it changed me for the rest of my life. And for the last 11 years, I have very imperfectly, but pretty passionately, been going after Jesus. And, uh, and I'm, I'm type A, I'm a guy. I, I feel like there is um, a call on my life to be a leader. I love all of those things. I don't shy away from being in charge, but I can't tell you the joy that it is to submit my life to another. It is so much fun to let somebody else call the shots in my life. This is what Jesus has done in me, and we are called, church, we're called to replicate faith. We're not replicating shallowness. We're replicating what God has done in us, not religion, but relationship. And evangelism, sharing our story, sharing the story of God starts with intimacy because Jesus is worth replicating. And it's the call that he's given us to do together.